One Week Season. Friday, everyone, and welcome to week nine. I cannot actually believe it's week nine already of the Edge Breakdown with the world-famous Hilo, who is Mr. Podcast himself, just doing one after the other. I know uh, we were just talking about you were just with the Badge Bros, and I love that name, by the way. Like I, That was such a great name for you guys. I, that's uh, That was whoever came up with that. Kudos. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, Nez Numi and uh, and John Warner are kind of the badge bros, and um, I'm lucky enough to jam with them every Tuesday and Friday this season. Yeah, I really, uh, I really like John. Um, it was uh, good to hear him on those podcasts you did on the best ball stuff before the season, and hear a take from someone that's has a lot of game theory, and you know, even talking about how he was using baseball to try to figure out football for the season. Right? Um, I yeah. think there was some. I think there's some good uh, stuff in that. So we have a weird slate this week, right? There's a lot of people on by. We just got the JT's out news three minutes ago from Shefty. um, And we're going to talk about that game today. So let's just get into it. And we're going to start with a game that while the over under for me is 49 and a half. I don't know that you can have a ton of exposure to this game. And you talk about this, right? there is it's so concentrated if you do it's just going to be mega chalk right oh i did it i did it already out of the game I threw it right, <laughs> right out the door so all right we're we're, we're on it we're, we're next weekend on the rights yeah this <laughs> this game i think the best way to think about this game is it carries such a wide range of outcomes when you think about the game environment itself and with the sense that the we know kind of what the Packers are at this point. They are going to slow the game down. They're going to adapt high rush rates. They're going to, when they throw the ball, it's going to be a lot of deep passing um, brought in, which obviously carries a wide range of outcomes when you're talking about a an isolated event of one deep pass. Um, and then we know that like their defense is built to basically be this off coverage prevent type zone style defense. So knowing that like the Packers are going to look to try and assert dominance over the game environment itself by slowing things down on the other side of that, how does that interact with the lions? They also start games by slowing the game down, by trying to lean on the run, by incorporating their running back tandem in DeAndre Swift and and Jamal Williams. And then it's not until they are forced to open things up that they up the pace of play. They up their aerial aggression. But we know that they are willing to do that if forced to do that. So all those things kind of come together to combine to this game environment with a relatively like, or I would call it like an extremely wide range of potential outcomes. We could see the Lions fall flat. We've seen this kind of two-face Lions offense this season where they, you know, they were first in scoring in the league over the first five weeks of the season. And then they just really fell flat and didn't do much over the subsequent two weeks. They got shut out. They scored six points another game. So we have to look at like, what is the causal factor of that? And it was very likely to be all the injuries that they've had um, that shook things up in their offense. So like 
Now TJ Hawkinson is out of town. DJ Shark is on the IR. Amon Ross St. Brown is apparently fully healthy, but we'll see how he reacts to that. He was clearly not himself last week. Um, and we also had um, Josh Reynolds, who was down a midweek downgrade on Thursday's practice. So he went from limited with his ankle injury to a, um, to a DNP on Thursday. And so that's another thing that like he's been fighting. We know he's been fighting through an ankle injury since before their bye week in week six. So he's had this ankle injury that he's been playing through. You look at Amon's Ross St. Brown, he sat out a game to make sure that his ankle in, uh, healed up correctly. Well, Josh Reynolds never didn't miss a game over that time. He played through an ankle injury and it's looking like it's this like continuing thing. He might've re-aggravated it too during practice on Wednesday. So <clears throat> there's a lot of moving pieces with this offense. And with that in mind, the lions themselves have a wide range of potential outcomes as far as how efficient and um, as far as their production in this game. So there's just a lot of, unknowns we can expect the packers to be their their same like concentrated offense it's primarily their offense is going to flow through four guys right it's it's aaron jones um it's alan lazard it's romeo dobbs and it's robert tanyan we also have aj Dillon, who will mix in for you know eight to twelve uh running back carries somewhere along those lines which puts a slight dent into the ceiling expectation for aaron jones but the matchup is so good that the packers are really should have their way um, however they really choose. Um, I, I can't believe that he came back from that knee that you looked at that during that game and you thought for sure, like, okay, he's done. Like this is Aaron Jones backfield the rest of the year. I'm blown away. That isn't in seven pieces. Yeah. So there's, I think just <clears throat> when looking at this whole game environment, I don't think that the field is going to be considering the downside here. I don't think that the field is going to be considering the fact that the Lions just might fail here. I don't think that the field is considering the fact that we could see AJ Dillon take on more rushing load here. I, so there's, there's just a wide range of potential outcomes. One with respect to this game environment. And then two with respect to these two individual teams that is worth considering the standard like DFS ideology slash mantra that we use with respect to wide range of outcomes and um, chalk is like, you want to be overexposed to a wide range of outcomes game at low ownership. And you want to see if there are, or at least explore other options. If there are expected to be heavy ownership on um, a game with a wide range of potential outcomes. So that's, Probably this game is going to land in that later category for me this week in that there, there isn't a singular or a correlated pairing or a game stack that I see that is leverage enough to offset the ownership that we're expecting from this game this week for me anyway. Right. If we could get everybody's going to be on the Aaron Jones, you know, I'm on stack, right? Now, if we could get that at 5%, that would be a whole nother story, right? I also think one of the most interesting things through the tread, trade deadline this week, and you talk about it in the article, I already had him stashed in a bunch of places, especially at, over at FFPC for yeah. our season-long stuff. But the fact that the Lions said, we don't want to pay 
TJ $9 million next year when he was yep. the eighth pick in the draft. People forget yep. he was their eighth pick, right? Like he wasn't, this wasn't a second round, third round tight end that exploded. This is a guy you spent a top 10 pick on. Yeah. And I actually love him going over to Minnesota and what he's going to actually open up for Dalvin. Uh, Cause he's such a great blocking tight end. I yeah. think he gets the Kittle problem, right? The Iowa issue that they, yeah. you know, they're <laughs> Them big boys. They're, yeah. They're big boys and they're great at blocking and they're yeah. super athletic and they can also catch and break a game when they're getting the usage. But I think that says a lot about Mitchell and I think your quote says it best this week, right? If you don't know the name, you soon will. Because yeah. to, to be willing to walk away from that said how much faith they really have in him. So I'm interested to see if he gets any steam this week. And if he doesn't, I'm, I'm a pay up a tight end guy. But if it's nothing and you yeah. really want to pivot off of this game, that's, you know, in the wide range of outcomes, I think that's an interesting pivot. Yeah, the state of the tight end position this week, we'll just anchor on that real quick. The highest priced tight end this week is Zach Ertz in Arizona against the Seahawks. That tells you exactly what the state of this slate is for tight end. So if that's the case, we don't even have like Kittle to fall back on. We know that we don't have Travis Kelsey. We know that we don't have uh, Mark Andrews on the slate. Now we don't even have George Kittle. They're on bye week nine. So those are like, those are the three guys that can put a slate out of reach, right? And that's, that's it. So if none of those guys are on the slate, now we are fully in the realm of, we are just hunting for variants. We saw it last week with Tyler Conklin. I'm pissed at myself that I didn't see that because it was basically Tyler Conklin, Denzel Mims, and um, Garrett Wilson were the only pass catchers in New York to play 75% or more of the offensive snaps that game. Looking back, that makes a whole lot of sense because Corey Davis was out. Elijah Mitchell is in the doghouse. He played only 10 snaps. And so we're going to get, yeah, should I say Elijah Mitchell? Elijah Moore, uh, yeah. the, the Elijah Ambrose. Um, yeah. We'll get to that game here shortly as well because I think that's on our docket to explore. Uh, but that is kind of the state of this slate as well. We're just removing one, uh, another member of the top tier that can like put a slate out of reach at the tight end position in George Kittle. So it's kind of that same feel optimal last week was finding the touchdown variants in Tyler Conklin. He caught two. He was optimal um, at a low price. It's kind of that same feel. And if we have that same feel, yeah, James Mitchell is one of the my favorite plays from this game. We don't there's so much unknowns associated with him, but he fits into that realm of this game environment has a wide range of potential outcomes. He's bare minimum price at 2500 on DraftKings and his numbers that he put up in the in the 2020 season in college were like Kyle Pitts numbers. He was putting up over 3.0 targets per route run rate. Uh, or sorry, yards per route run rate, which is like elite. His a dot was 10 plus. So he was running these downfield uh, biased routes. Um, he's not like this elite athletic profile. He's not like a, a Noah fan like type wide receiver. He's not like in the top 99th percentile in agility and speed and burst in quickness, all this stuff, but he has proven success and he is excellent with the ball in his hands in the open field. 
Um, yards after catch potential is there. We talked about the composition of the Green Bay defense in other spots on this uh, on this podcast throughout the season where they are playing so far off um, in zone coverage that it opens up kind of spots behind their linebacking unit. So there's upside here with James Mitchell with the ball in his hands. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting spot to see for me there. I'll be really interested to see Saturday night where ownership starts falling for that game. So let's just, let's roll right into this, right? We'll roll into the bills and the jets and who knew, who knew the jets defense was going to be the juggernaut this year, right? They, uh, impressive considering where they're at and what Salah has been able to do with them. The bills are the bills. And one of the things that's interesting to me about this game so far is that the totals dropped on the bills. I was really excited for my James Cook shares. And then last second we get the, you know, we get the announcement and I honestly don't know what it says at this point to me about what they think of James Cook and, or they just want some depth for the playoff run. Maybe I'm really interested to see how they roll that in versus going out and getting a a bigger name back. it means they love Singletary, which we all see, even though we don't like for fantasy. Yeah, I think they have been looking for the better part of three seasons at a pass catching back to pair with Singletary. Um, that started two seasons ago with Singletary um, and Zach Moss. Then it continued with Singletary and James Cook. Um, and now we're seeing they went out and got their guy. Like they had, they had interest in JD McKissick this off season. Um, and now they land Naheem Hines. So to me, that is very telling of, we view a hole in like, we, we view, we have like one missing piece basically, because they have been consistently trying to go out and get a pass catching specialist back to pair with Devin Singletary. And to me, they finally went out and got their guy. Like this is, they went out hunting. They wanted Naeem Hines. They wanted their guy and they went out and got him. So to me, he's eventually going to grow into that pass catching role back uh, for a team that we know likes to pass the football. So, um, and when you look at like the skill set of Devin Singletary mixed with Naeem Hines, they're a very natural pairing because Singletary is, um, He's a good route runner out of the backfield. He's a good, he's good at um, getting the ball in space and doing something with it. Naheem Hines, excellent at that as well. So I think that you're going to see these two backs. And we, we also know that Naheem Hines is a capable like rusher. Like he's proven in Indianapolis that he can do that as well. So to me, I don't think that we're going to see like a Devin Singletary on early downs and then a, um, Naheem Hines in obvious pass down situations. I think it's just going to be like, now they have two weapons to keep Devin Singletary more fresh, deeper into games, and they can intermix these two guys, um, less so in a situational role and more so in a, just mixing them in and out of the lineup and keeping them fresh. So I think that's going to introduce a lot more variance with the, uh, the bills backfield moving forward. That said for this week, it's, probably likely that we see Naeem Hines on some sort of snap count. He's probably going to be mixing in with James Cook um, sparingly behind Devin Singletary. So 
Um, but that's kind of the outlook for me with this backfield moving forward. Well, it's one of the things that's interesting, and I brought it up at the beginning, is the Bills totals come down because all world be I mean, Josh Allen is just so much fun to watch, right? I, I tweeted out last week, right? He's he reminded me of of Kittle when Kittle was making pancake box and he got up and smiled. And Allen last week was running over people, getting mm-hmm. up and smiling at him when he yeah. was done, right? Taking licks and getting up and just laughing at them. Like he's just right. Meanwhile, he's turning around and he's flicking the ball and he's throwing it 70 yards. That being said, what is Allen's one weakness been so far as pressure, right? When yeah. he is pressured, that's where he's still learning. Right. He hasn't been in the league 10 years yet. He's developed into this monster, but that's the one thing that the Jets have is pressure. And the Bills total is dropped, I think, because of that. I think some sharp money's probably moved in on that. And where the thing for me that stood out with the Hines is he is a much better pass blocker than mm-hmm. James Cook is. Right. I think they're going to use him a lot too to, hey, give us a chip pull this guy off and then you can come out of the backfield where James yeah. Cook just doesn't have that ability yet for me. Yeah, hundred percent. And <clears throat> circling back to the jets, what is, what kind of makes a defense elite in today's NFL game? It's pressure up front and it's secondary. We saw the, um, we saw the bears kind of, I guess under the radar highlight that <clears throat> that fact, excuse me, this week with moving on from Rokron Smith and um and Ryan Poles is not to jump down too big of a rabbit hole, but Ryan Poles is probably one of the better GMs in the NFL. Um and he is performing like it this season with what he has done with what he was basically what he took over in Chicago. The dumpster fire. He was he was a dumpster fire. He was yeah, so like, just full of fuel flames everywhere that it was ugly to see that he got rid of an interior defensive lineman and a weak side linebacker kind of highlights where or what makes a what is important to an NFL defense in today's game it's like the edge and it's the secondary just because we've seen we want I guess the the to counterbalance the increase in pass rates that we've seen over the last five years in the NFL teams are noticing that, Hey, we need to generate pressure in the backfield and we need to have a top coverage secondary. Well, carry those thoughts forward to the jets. They have at bare minimum, a top three secondary um, on paper, very clearly could be in the conversation for the top overall um, secondary. They completely overhauled that secondary over the last two years also, now they are able to generate organic pressure up front along that defensive line with a pressure rate that is almost 75% more than their blitz rate. So we talk it's about crazy like crazy how much it is. Yeah. So we talk about like what goes into making a defense in today's game elite. Like this is basically based off of the like San Francisco 49ers and the Buffalo Bills what they are doing on defense. They have locked down secondaries and they have a defensive line that, and, and edges that are able to generate organic pressure up front without having to expose different areas of their defense through these crazy blitz packages. The other kind of 
um, blueprint that we've seen be effective is like this Wink Martindale blueprint where it's, we're going to blitz at a heavy rate, but you don't know where it's going to come from. We're going to bring strong side safety. We're going to bring weak side linebacker. We're going to bring these different looks to where it's hard for the quarterback to one diagnose it and then find where the holes behind that are going to be. So those are kind of like the two paths I'll say to a defense being elite in today's game. And the jets are very, very firmly in the former of that discussion. They're able to generate pressure organically up front, and they have a lockdown secondary. So they're able to settle into these, these uh, cover two, these cover six, these nickel packages, these dime packages, and they're able to keep the play in front of them. They're able to, I guess the best way to like, relate this to the masses is like think of al michaels on a broadcast and like he's like oh that was a coverage sack like that's what the jets are doing um and josh allen has basically grown over the last three years and now he is pff's highest graded passer against pressure this season but those pressures have primarily come through blitzes against Josh Allen and the and the Bills this season. That said, that speaks to his processing and his reading ability of a defense to where he has grown in those areas to where he can find the the soft spots left behind when a team is blitzing him. Totally different story for the Jets. So that introduces some um, a bit of unknowns and a, it extends the range of outcomes for this game enough to where I think sharp betters are, are noticing that. And the bills total has come down a bit. That said on the other side of that coin is like the state of the slate on this, this weekend's main slate is Josh Allen and everybody else at quarterback. So that's a primary decision point for us is like Josh Allen is the only guy on the slate that can put the slate out of reach type thing. Um, So that is going to be one of the primary decision points. And there's a lot to work through you know, just based on the last five minutes of our discussion here, there's a lot going on with this matchup that I don't think the field is fully grasping. Right. Like, are they really going to look how to pivot correctly? For me, it's, I think they're going to, as I watch more, they're going to put sauce on digs, which I'm super excited about. Right. Yeah. I, I want sauce versus digs the whole game. Put That's them a on marquee them and, matchup. Yeah. Right. Let's put them on them. And uh, I think they're, you know, they showed us last week how much digs, right? Everybody saw him chirping coming out and, hey, you know, you got to run your mouth at me. Let's go. I, I like the competitive side of guys. And Sauce has shown he, want, he wants to be Revis Island, right? He wants yeah. to be known as a guy that I'm going to lock you down and you are not thrown against me. So let's say he does, right? He locks up digs. Okay. Does that open up who with them? I actually think the field is going to pivot to Mr. Gabe, but mm-hmm. I think it opens up the field for Knox, right? That he's going to be able it's, to hit those teams down the middle. That That's an interesting spot for me this week. It's Isaiah McKenzie and it's Dawson Knox for sure. Right. Um, those are the two most interesting pieces from the Bills for me. I think they can be played with Josh Allen. I think they can be played naked. I think they can be played without a correlated bring back. But on the other side of this game, it's like the, like we talked about earlier, the Jets are kind of in a an offensive funky disarray gray area where they're working through a lot of stuff on the field. They're working through a lot of stuff off the field. Elijah Moore, um, Corey Davis is going to be out. 
what they did with Corey Davis, who is this 6'4", big-bodied wide receiver, is they said, okay, Elijah Moore, like, screw you. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole. We're going to shift to Denzel Mims, who is also this big-bodied wide receiver. And whether how that transpired last week is Mims was just out there running wind sprints, and he was out there blocking. So (laughs) that, that filtered the volume to Garrett Wilson, who was up to a 98% route participation rate on dropbacks. And like Garrett Wilson is seeing a bunch of doubles. He's seeing um, a bunch of shifted coverages towards him, but it's like, it almost doesn't matter because he's really that good. Um, And so that also came into play with opening up stuff over the seam um, with Tyler Conklin. Obviously he scored two touchdowns. That's highly variant. But those two were basically the main pieces of the pass offense for for the Jets last week. If you, I guess, if you marry those ideas with the likeliest game environment here, it's highly likely that the Bills are going to be controlling the game environment with their defense. It's also not equally as likely, but it's also likely that the Jets are going to overperform their expectations coming into this game. So that creates this like messy situation where this game also has a wide range of potential outcomes that I don't think the field is really one noticing and two going to act upon. But there are some interesting stack abilities in this game different than, or I guess compared to our last game we covered with the uh, Packers at lions where it's like the field is on the best plays. It's just leveraging the unknowns with the wide range of outcomes. The field is probably not on the best on paper plays from this game in Garrett Wilson, in Isaiah McKenzie, in Dawson Knox. Um, So there are some interesting stack abilities. You could run, um, you could run Josh Allen with Isaiah McKenzie and Dawson Knox and bring it back with Garrett Wilson. And it's like, voila, I am differentiated. Um, And I don't think you're sacrificing upside by doing that in this particular spot. I want to see if I could work up the courage to play the Jets D as a pivot this week. I don't know that I have it, but I I want to. I, I think it's a the leverage it's going to offer is huge. Think of what you could do on a roster at the running back position and the wide receiver position if That's you ran exactly. James Mitchell and the Jets defense. <laughs> That's so I, yeah, much. I, I'm, it's it's funny you say that. That's literally in my spreadsheet right now, mm-hmm. like in my there, that's one of the things I have highlighted is I pivot off these two games. Cause there, we're going to talk about one of them. There's a couple other games I like, um, and some positions I really like that while you're going to eat a little chalk, you're not going to eat massive chalk. Right. Cause on paper, this is, Oh, the bills are playing the jets. They're just going to murder them. Yeah. Right. But could we see the jets D get three sacks and an interception while Buffalo slows the game down and runs and just puts up 24. Absolutely. And if we get that, that's a smash for the jets. So I, I, in their wide range of outcomes, that's the interesting one to me. The, the biggest knock on Josh Allen now is not how he handles the blitz because we just kind of went down that rabbit hole. The biggest knock on Josh Allen is he is pushing everything. He wants to succeed so much so that sometimes that affects his decision-making and he will throw some ill-advised passes and that has led to some interceptions. So um, that is where the Jets could be viable. They could pick off Josh Allen twice. If they return one of those for a touchdown, it's like they are optimal. 
<laughs> so, um, right. And yeah. if, and on the other side, right. If the bills go score 35 on them and, or drop 38 on them, no one else is going to be shocked as good as the jets have been, right. It's yeah. the bills have just been them and everybody else this year. Yep. And it'll be interesting to see, um, moving on to, uh, an interesting game here that I just, it's a weird spot in terms of what they've done, where they're going, who knew it was PJ Walker, who, who was going to unlock DJ Moore. We I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you like how I teed that up for you there. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I had, every time I read that they were gone and Matt rule, isn't there anymore. I could only imagine how it makes me think of you and how excited you probably are that they're gone. <laughs> yes. um, I'll tell yes. you the thing that, that was, showed really well this week obviously he was one of the must-have plays was foreman he was projected at 16 carries he got 26 yeah right and 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 chuba looked good while he was there so everyone expects him to go back to that you know running back by committee on the opposite side never did i think in week nine i would be talking about the panthers and Bengals and think i'd actually rather take the panthers running back than doesn't produce any fantasy points joe mixon yeah, so there's a lot of layers. The first thing that we need to bring up is two hours ago, Chuba Hubbard was ruled out. So Dante Foreman yep. is going to be the guy again. That, that, that's why I brought that up. The second layer to that is Joe Mixon has performed at a 25% less than his expectation rate. So he's, his fantasy points per game expectation is almost 21 points. He's averaging about 15.6 fantasy yep. points per game. So that is massive. The third thing is the absence of Jamar Chase and what that does for the Bengals. Last week, it didn't do much. They were still running a high rate of 11 personnel. And by high rate, I mean like almost 100%. Um, And that is basically um, Hayden Hurst, that is Joe Mixon, and that is T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, and then something filling in behind them. That something last week was like a combination of of um mike thomas that was uh a combination i guess of mike thomas um trent taylor and trenton Irwin, who saw his first offensive snaps of the season so they clearly don't want mike thomas being the guy without jamar chase that is different than in seasons past so um even different than earlier this season when T Higgins was forced out of week one when T Higgins was forced out of week five, Mike Thomas was kind of the guy, but the difference for this with Jamar chase is they've had time knowing he's going to be out the two earlier times this year where T Higgins, he was forced out of the game mid game. So Mike Thomas was kind of like the natural he's familiar with the offense. Let's let's roll with him. He only played 45% of the offensive snaps last week. Um, and he he mixed with uh, the aforementioned Trent Irwin and um, Trent Taylor. But you look at like the combined snap rate of those three guys. It was public math. It was 89 or it was 101% of the offensive snaps. So those three guys combined to be the wide receiver three for the Bengals. What that did is we know that the Bengals struggled immensely against the pass rush of the Denver Broncos. Look at like the Panthers defense. They are built very similarly to what the Broncos utilized effectively against this team last weekend. 
they utilize a base four, three, um, cover two defense. They, um, they mix in a lot of dime usage. They mix in a lot of nickel, uh, usage and they are actually able to generate pressure up front as well through that. So we look at the, the Panthers, um, pressure rate. They are, they generate pressure at a 20.5% clip. The main difference here is they have to blitz 30% of the time to generate that pressure. So that is something that is different from the Denver Broncos in the sense that that is going to open up those coverage lapses behind wherever that blitz is coming from. And obviously there's so many layers to that, how a defensive run is run. We have weak side linebackers that typically are dropped back into coverage on the offside. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on how a defense is run, but that plays well into Joe Burrow's upside in this spot. I think that plays well into, we know that the, the Bengals are leaning forward in their pass rate over expectation. They have the highest pass rate over expectation in the league over the last four weeks. They have the highest pass rate overall over the last four weeks in the NFL. So that's kind of their, their identity is they're going to run an 11 personal offense and they're going to pass the ball a lot. We now have Joe Mixon who is running routes at an elite rate. That said, I just covered this on the, um, the badge bros podcast, but the, the routes that he's asking to run are very akin to like what Derek Henry does. Yep. It's like bump and run, go six yards down the field There's and no. present your numbers to the quarterback. Yep. That is not upside generating. You saw it um, last week against the Broncos. It was like he was forced to try and make a move with his back turned to the defender. And he was just like, this is the NFL, bro. Linebackers are going to make that tackle. So like until yeah, he is utilized. We're not in the back. This wasn't a Mac conference game. Yeah. He's not going to be able to go, ooh, and then escape a tackle uh, right. with his back turned to a defender. No, this is the NFL, dude. They're going to tackle you. Um, linebackers Unless are Unless you're CMC. Good. Yeah. And he's not. So he is, <laughs> he has cinder blocks on his feet compared yeah. to CMC, who is this agile ninja. Uh, like, so the way that he's being utilized is not upside generating. Will that matter? I don't know because he's seeing elite volume. He's seeing elite route participation. Could that change? Could they utilize him on crossing routes? Could they utilize him on, um, uh, anything but like hooks? <laughs> like, yeah, right. sure. Um, I, based on what we've seen so far to this point, those are low upside, upside generating, yep. uh, volume routes. That said, it's like kind of this, like, who do they have that this offense is going to funnel through? It's like they have T Higgins, they have Tyler Boyd and they have mm-hmm. Joe Mixon. They have Hayden Hurst, who is an above average all around tight end, not the best, like in space guy. Um, so volume could flow to him. But if I were looking at this matchup on paper, based on the personnel that they have, we saw T. Higgins struggle in a tough uh, secondary matchup last week against Broncos. We saw he is not this like elite alpha wide receiver that the field seems to think he is. He is a very, very, very capable wide receiver too when yep. primary defensive attention is not on him. Correct. Um you know, look at like his splits with and without Jamar Chase over the last two seasons. He is down to like, 
I think it's like 11.5 or 11.4, something like that fantasy points per game in games that Jamar Chase has not played in. And that is like middle wide receiver three territory. So like he is not performing at an elite level without Jamar Chase in the lineup. So if we kind of eliminate that avenue for success for the Bengals, it's really like Joe Mixon and and Tyler Boyd over the middle that could see a spike in volume this week. So I'm actually kind of interested in Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, and Tyler Boyd's stacks. And I think that there are some viable bringbacks on the other side, primarily with DJ Moore and um, Terrace Marshall. Yep. Terrace Marshall saw nine targets last week. He upped his snap rate into, I think it was 93% off the top yeah, of my head. Yeah, it was head. over 90% for sure. Yeah, so he he played 86% of the snaps in week seven. He played 93%, I think, in week eight. So he is like, we can say with a high degree of confidence that he is the wide receiver two on this offense. He saw nine targets last week. So if you're playing to this game environment, I think it's very interesting to consider Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, and one of DJ Moore or Terrace Marshall as a bringback uh, to play to this game environment. We kind of saw last week that the Panthers are capable of opening things up now. Thank God Matt Rule is gone. Whoa. Thank God uh, Baker Mayfield is no longer the starting quarterback. PJ Walker is this like, like the field knows that he was the MVP in the XFL. Like the field knows yep. this, but I don't think they fully grasp like how capable he is. Um, in the NFL, I targeted him heavily last season when he emerged in the middle of the season as the, as the starting quarterback. Um, He's just, he's, he's capable of reading a defense. He's capable of making downfield throws. And that opens up a lot for this, this Panthers offense that they didn't have with Matt rule and, and dusty Baker, we'll call it. (laughs) Um, It's interesting that on the same team, you have darn right. You have Darnold and Baker right two of two of the top draft picks one mm. of the things is I, I watch for when guys are coming out you have the world beaters right chase guys like that that we know are just they're gonna hit right we we have the andrew lux the peyton mannings those are an exception to the rule the guys i'm looking for are guys like pj walker that i think have the ability to mature more look at josh allen right yeah. look at Right. Look at go back. Look at Tom Brady. Look at the guys that can mature and are still growing versus they're peaking in college. And what do we tend to see? We tend to see the guys that are peaking in college get drafted high and then fail. It's Josh Rosen. Yeah. Rosen. Well, after the hot tub pick, that told me everything. (laughs) (laughs) So, and, uh, you know, growing up in Los Angeles, I'm a, I'm a UCLA guy over USC guy because you got to pick sides there. Just like you know, being in Phoenix, you're either a Sun Devil or a Wildcat. So yeah. I grew up, and I grew up right next to UCLA, like not right next to it, but I was in Culver City. So we have a. I'm a UCLA fan, so as soon as I saw that, we're there. So I'll be. I think we're going to get this game at really low ownership, and yeah. definitely have some ceiling there. This game, while it's at 42 and a half. If this turned around and was 38, 31, 34, would anybody be shocked? Not really. That that option and the range of outcomes is almost there. Yeah, because so, the Bengals are just that team that can right. do that because of how they have evolved over uh, as the season's progressed. So speaking of 
interesting, weird, low total games, we're going to move over to the Colts and Patriots. We just got the news that Jonathan Taylor is out right before we started this podcast. If you don't have Jackson and season log, I hope you did. Uh, missed him in one league this week that Billy and I were going after him, one of our shared teams, and uh, tried to get him. We just didn't have enough fab left to get him. But uh, I got a lot of exposure there, so I'm excited. And I'm excited to see what he can do here. Um, Harris is still on the injury watch list, which Ramonde has you know, put it in sixth gear this year for us and turned it up. And I'm I'm excited for Jackson. The Patriots run D has been terrible. Uh, it's I'm interested to see what they do with Ellinger this week. Having them plan more, do they scheme run them more? Do they use them like the Bears are using Fields? Because that's how they need to use Sam. If they use him like that, design some runs for him, roll him out. I think he could be a lot more successful. And you saw it in that first half; he wasn't ready. And as he got some yeah. more snaps under his belt, got him going a little bit, um, got him there. And it's interesting that they have it out, but right. You have Taylor out them ready. Uh, I'm interested to see some of the pivots in a very low scoring game that might, you know, open up some doors here. Yeah. And he had Sam Ellinger had six rush attempts and he also had three called back for offensive penalties. And the three that were called back were like chunk gains. So they were the three that he actually like would have helped fantasy owners. Yeah. He had a six for 15 rushing line that very could have easily looked like a nine for 60, which would be a completely different conversation this week. I think a lot of the chalky, a lot of the things that we touched on last week, I was very firmly and vocal about the fact that Sam Ellinger was a better on paper play um, than, oh God, Malik, Malik Willis. Yes. Yeah. Um, and got a lot of pushback for that, but it, you look at like the composition of those two teams, whatever I digress. Um, that's not important for this discussion. Also like Sam Ellinger was a conscious decision or a conscious change by the team to try and ignite them moving forward. This is a team that they are still in the playoff hunt. They have half of the season left. Um, They made this switch. Obviously it was ignited by the injury to Matt Ryan, but this was an effort by the team to increase their effectiveness moving forward. On the other side, like Malik Willis was like a, just an injury straight fill in um, their highly likely to go back to Ryan Tannehill when he's ready. Obviously Tannehill has been ruled out uh, this week. Um, Not on the main slate, not important. Um, I digress a little bit. The composition of the Colts. We know over the last four weeks of the season, they are top three in overall pass rate. We know that they now have this mobile quarterback. We know that Naheem Hines is no longer in town. We know that Jonathan Taylor is out. We also know that Deion Jackson is very capable in the pass game. We know that he is a capable enough rusher to at least keep the Patriots honest in the box. And when you look at like how the Colts are going to likely be approaching this game, it is highly likely to still be this, um, this 11 personnel biased offense and utilizing what Sam Ellinger brings to the table. They, were in the game the entire game last week. They lost on a late touchdown. Um, they really like this. Not a lot changes for me 
with how I expect the Colts to run. They have very interesting splits in personnel usage. We know that when they see a game environment where they think they can run the ball, they go heavy 12 personnel. They have two tight ends on the field. When they see a matchup where they can forecast or they are forced to be passing the ball at a higher rate, they transition to this 11 personnel heavy offense. What that has done is it has fluctuated Alec Pierce's snap rate. You know, he was like a every down snap rate player two weeks Mm -hmm. ago. He was like a 60 whatever percent snap rate player last week. So when I'm looking at this game, how do I think the Colts are going to approach this? It's probably going to be a heavier rate of 11 personnel from the sense of they probably know that they're going to have to score points in this matchup because the Patriots are going to be so likely to be able to control the game with their ground game. Um, And that's not necessarily like saying the Colts are a bad run defense because they're like one of the top run defenses. It's just the sense that like that is kind of the Patriots MO. And that saps a lot of the upside out of this game environment, a lot different than last week where they were playing um, the commanders where it was like, we know, we know that what they, that could turn into. Yeah, We've seen exactly. the commanders be able to turn something into a shootout. The Patriots yeah. have it, right? Like to give an example, and I'll, I'll give everybody this. You can make this prop bet this week on if you want to take a look at it. Mac Jones has thrown an interception in seven straight games. While the Colts pasty isn't a world beater, Bill knows that he's thrown an interception in every game. So what are they going to do? They're going to try to run the ball and make him be able to have safer pass throws. I bet that he threw that interception. I'm going to take it that Mac is going to make a bad decision that the Colts are going to make some pressure on him and go from there. But if I'm Bill, that's what I see. And I know those stats going in as well. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm thinking is this game environment probably doesn't carry a whole lot of upside. Um, we can expect the Patriots are probably going to lean on a strength on strength matchup in the trenches. Um, that's going to slow the game down. We know that, that Ellinger is still a work in progress, but we know that he is, was at least a conscious decision from this franchise to, to ignite a rather one dimensional and, um, very obvious pass focused offense. Well, let's finish up with the game that does have some upside, uh, and I'm actually excited about, unfortunately, I think the field's going to be excited about it, but this is one of those places you're going to have to decide how you want to eat this chalk. The Dolphins, very concentrated offense. They've shown where it is. The Bears have finally figured out that, hey, maybe we should roll fields out. Hey, maybe we should have some runs for fields and look at what it's done for their offense. We have the big chase and chase trades this week, right? The the Bears bring in Claypool. The Dolphins bring in Mr. Edmonds. Thank goodness for some of my Chase Edmonds shares that were no, just they, dead in the water. They traded away Chase Edmonds. Or traded away Chase Edmonds, yeah. sorry. Uh, said that wrong. Um, but yeah, I traded him away to to get him, so he actually has some upside for me. And But the Bears bringing him in. I'm interested to see how they use Chase. Um, do they put him in the slot as a big body? move Mooney outside. Um, I'm interested there. And on the other side to, uh, does he go on the MVP conversation? If he keeps this up, I'm interested to see if people start banging that drum a little bit. 
So yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces with this game. Yeah. Um, to answer the first question with Chase Claypool, I think this was a move focused on next season. I think they yeah. went out and got their Agreed. their their they have their wide receiver pairing moving forward. Now they can right. re-sign Chase Claypool. Um, they can negotiate there. But Chase Claypool and Darnell Mooney are a very natural um, pairing that they can move around. They can play each of them on the perimeter. They can motion them into the slot. They can do a lot of things with that pairing, um, particularly with the athleticism that they have in that pairing. Now you think about like Cole Komet, they have an athletic and pass catching tight end that they can move around. And this team is starting to look like they kind of know what they're doing, right? I alluded to... Ryan Poles earlier in this podcast, he is performing as like one of the top GMs in the league. Um, and this, everything that they're doing is setting this team up for the best thing that they can do to provide Justin Fields a path to success next season. They, that said, we talked about in this space before how much, how many moving pieces um this team had this off season. They changed everything from the GM down, like down the roster of the coaching roster. They added a um, analytics department. They, they are doing things to set this team up for success in the future. Now what we've seen this season, which is most pertinent to pertinent to us now is they're starting to toy with how we can be most successful with Justin Fields at quarterback over the last two games. They've had 18 first down either passing plays or Justin Field designed run plays. So that is a step in the right direction, right? They're moving from trying to hide the deficiencies along the offensive line, which they opened up the first six weeks of the season doing. Now they are figuring out how do we overcome those deficiencies? How do we stay ahead of the chains? Why would we want to put ourselves in second and eight or nine by running David Montgomery into a brick wall and then having a situation where the defense knows that we have to have Josh Fields dropping back. We know that like his pocket presence, his decision-making is not the best. He needs to grow in those areas. But what we're seeing now from the bears is they're not calling a game plan that puts them in those situations. They're being active on first down. They're not just running Khalil Herbert and, and, um, David Montgomery up the gut on first down because that's where the bears and we have to do that. Like, no, they're like, they're leaning forward. Now they're trying to stay ahead of the sticks. They're calling design runs on first down. They're calling pass plays on first down. And that is putting themselves like, obviously it's still Justin Fields. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to get take sacks because his pocket presence is not where it needs to be. As far as knowing when I can escape, he's, he's basically like Kyler Murray when he came into the league. Uh, as far as his pocket presence, he's like, I can escape anything. So he's holding onto the ball and then he's yeah. getting swarmed by four defenders and he's taking sacks. Oh my um, gosh. The 300 pound guy runs a four, seven forty. Yeah. Yeah. Oh shoot. That. This is the NFL, <laughs> not college. So yeah, that's kind of where I, I relate where Justin Fields is at is like Kyler Murray coming into the league. That said, like Justin Fields has the, body size, the arm strength, the rushing upside, he has the tools to be able to develop into like, I'm not going to call him like Josh Allen, but like he has the tools to like take Josh Allen, like leaps forward in his game. It's all about like, it's all about like how the bears develop him. 
And what we're starting to see now over the last two games, last three games really, is they're starting to take action to develop their quarterback. And that is a plus. All that conversation goes into how it relates to this game is it gives us some upside here. Like we we have some upside. We have a Dolphins team who has been top three in pass rate over expectation in every single uh, game where uh, Tua Tagovailoa started and finished, which is only a four game sample, but like they are, we know how they want to operate. It's like Mike McDaniels, this, this Yale graduate, this smart dude is like, why would I want to play Mike Gesicki heavily when I have, when I have Jalen Waddle and when I have Tyreek Hill and when I have Raheem Mostert who are capable of running 22 miles per hour, like, okay, that makes sense. He's feeding and he's designing an offense to maximize the talents that he has. That is not a knock to Mike Gesicki. That is just saying Mike Gesicki is not on the level of these other three guys. And that's okay. Like That's okay. Yeah. They, are, they are calling an offense designed to maximize what they have. They're calling an offense to get layered routes between Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. They're designing a route for those guys to win in the first five yards of the line of scrimmage get them the ball in space and see what they can do. And what they can do is they can wreck havoc on the league. And that's what they're doing. Look at like um, Jalen Waddle is like second in the league in total error yards market share this season. The combination of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle accounts for like 66% of the total air yards of the Dolphins offense. So that is like a highly concentrated unit. Yes. Tua plus the double stack of Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill is in play every single week for the rest of the season. It's just, let's accept that. We saw it last year with um, Minnesota where we were like all over. Um, we were all over those, the primary pass yeah. catchers there and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. That's the dolphins this year. So like noticing that trend before the field fully captures, you know, probably what we're going to see this week is like a lot of ownership on Tyreek Hill because he is in the top five. Hill. He's Tyreek Hill. He's in the top five in everything from like targets per route run to route participation rate to team target market share to all these metrics. Like it's Tyreek Hill. Okay, we got it. But we're probably going to see two uh, double stacks or go relatively unowned or um, be a, a valid leverage point until the field catches on to like 2022 Dolphins is equal to 2021 and 2020. Minnesota Vikings like it's just they carry that much upside week in and week out to where we can play them every single week um probably at a plus EV endeavor so this is going to feel weird to say but I think it was one of the best moves of the trade deadline was them trading away chase and adding Jeff Wilson why do I think that because it's plug and play for Mike McDaniel he doesn't have to teach Jeff the offense he comes right in Mostert's been great, but what do we know about Mostert? He's 32 and he's often injured, right? And that's a tough position for running, you know, at the running back position. Wilson has the ability to come in, plug and play. And I think there's a chance he gets a little more run early. And I want to be a little early rather than late with him that you could see him giving you some leverage that it's not going to have. As far as if you want to get different and funky in this game. And another point for me on this, and you talked about it, 
an interesting line with Gusecki. Has he been a world beater? No. But in this week only, where we don't have any of the big tight ends on the slate, one, Gusecki's beat his prop for receiving yards almost every single week. Now, has it been really low? Yes. That being said, if he had two touchdowns because, you know, Tyreek broke one for 65 and, and they caught him at the, you know, they caught him at the deep ball and they caught him at the 10. And then they turned around and threw a pass to Gasecki. And if he does that twice, there's going to be some leverage in this game that I think that you need to get unique in how you look at this on top of just, hey, we're, we're going to fire the big bullets here. Yeah, I think the one of the interesting things that you said was respect to the backfield. I think the best way to think of their backfield is probably akin to our previous uh, previous discussion on the Bills to where they have two running backs that have very similar skill sets now to where that they, they can mix and match those away from being situational backs. Whereas up until this point, it was like Raheem Mostert is our primary guy. We have Chase Edmonds as like an obvious pass down back and our goal line back. Well, now like they can mix and match these guys throughout the game to where they shouldn't expect a dip in production, regardless of what the situation is. So I think we're likely to see Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert mixing in throughout the game, staying fresh for deeper into the game. We know that Mostert is 32 years old. We know that he's um, advanced, we'll say, for running back age. Um, And that is probably an attempt to keep both him healthy for longer into the season and Make make it so they can play another running back without seeing a production dip, uh, which is what I think they went out and got with Jeff Wilson. So I think it's a little bit more than simply like, oh, Jeff Wilson is familiar with Mike McDaniel. He knows he's his guy, whatever. It's I th- he's just a very very natural fit for this offense. So totally totally agree. Yeah, so I think that's what we're going to see. It's probably going to be akin to to what our exploration of the Bills was, where they can just mix and match these guys throughout the game. Um, they both have similar skill sets. They both are. Uh, they both can pass ca- or catch passes. I know that like the Dolphins don't target the um, the running back position heavily because it's just this Mike McDaniel is part of the Shanahan tree, and that's just kind of what their offense does. Um, but the upside that each of those guys bring to the table on a per touch basis is is intriguing in this outside zone run scheme. So as we finish up here, there's uh, some really cool DFS interpretation you're going to get from one week season. You're going to get to talk about it with us in our discord, but as we're into week nine here, we're halfway through the season. I'm going to ask you as we finish up here, who is your biggest hit so far? And who did you whiff on the biggest that you can't believe you whiffed on or thought, wow, there was way more opportunity and I missed. The biggest whiff is probably Adam Thielen. Um, And I don't know if that's still too early to say, Um, but like I, the usage is still there, but the production has not been. So we'll just put it like that. I don't know if that's variance. I don't know if that's a changing role. I don't know if that's, he's over the hill, but he's utilized like he is not over the hill. Um, So I was heavy on Adam Thielen in like the seventh, eighth round in best ball. Um, he was going too low for me there. I thought he would return third round, fourth round value. So that's probably my biggest miss to this point. Um, biggest hit. Ooh. Man, put me on the spot. 
I'll let you think about it. I'll share mine. Yeah. Yeah. So because I know who mine are. So my biggest miss, and just like yours, I'm not dead because thankfully he got traded, but mine is Tony. Mm -hmm. I have a tractor trailer load rolling down the highway of Tony, whether it's in season long or best ball. I light dabble. Obviously, there's targets available with the Giants. It sounds like from what we're reading now that he's probably been healthy for a little longer than the Giants led on and that they were just trying to trade him. So I'm hoping this turns around because it would be huge for me. Uh, I also want to be early on him in DFS. I almost hope he comes out and just has an okay game because then we're going to get low ownership the following week and be able to smash at the same time. If he comes out and breaks the slate, no one will, no one will be ex- like super surprised about that because of his skill set. but he has shown us he's not, doesn't have the ability to stay healthy. And my hit has been the person we're talking about right now is Tyreek. We were getting him as late as the third round because everybody was worried about him going to Miami and what his role was going to be. And even at the end, I was still getting him in the second round all day and it's Tyreek. And I just bet on his talent and that McDaniels would figure out a way to use him, And that has felt like a steal moving through the season so far. Yeah. Okay. I like that call. My biggest hit over the first six weeks of the season was probably Brees Hall. <laughs> I had 20% okay. of Brees. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously that's off the table now. Um, so I guess I'll say Devin Duvernay. Um, he yeah. was kind of like my, my go-to last round guy in best yeah. ball. Um, I have, I'm looking up the ownership, 37% of Devin Duvernay because I was just smashing him, um, in the last he round of drafts. Yeah. So I didn't chase him when he started moving up into the 16th round. Um, yeah. all of my exposure to him was in the in the last round. So I probably was up to about 50% of him at one point during the draft season before I stopped taking him. Um, but yeah, he's still a guy that like the, the, the jury is probably still out on whether or not that's like this ultra smash pick, but he's been useful from a, um, not necessarily from a spike week potential standpoint yet, because kind of his like high games are like in the 12, 13, 14, 15 fantasy point range. Um, outside of his first uh, game, I think he scored two touchdowns, but um, yeah, from like a moving forward, like still untapped potential standpoint, probably Devin Duvernay. Yeah, I got a couple others I'm going to share with uh, Mike when we do our podcast here next. So look forward to seeing everybody this week. And thanks for coming on. Everybody have a good week and good luck. See you at the top of the leaderboards, fam. Yeah.